Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, ready to see me in the cell? Like how you posted out with $30,000 bill. I'm the ghost child, niggas know I made that dope float on the scale. I had them hoes going crazy, fees cracking, going pale, and on real. I got that flow, it's on sale. If you need a rush, coke blowing out my fees, nose like the speaker bust. Whole car be deed up, talk now, we teeing up. Making people trying to frame me for a shooting, but them boys ain't cleaning up. I see how they teaming up, watching it, I'm calculating. Gotta keep it quiet, I can't jeopardize the outcome waiting. Seeing certain All right, y'all. It's time for another episode of the Brain Love Podcast. This is Dr. Delvina. I am your host. And tonight I'm talking domestic violence. And I'm talking domestic violence because October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And of course, this is October. Today is Sunday, October 25th. It's the last Sunday in October. And so I had to definitely dedicate this episode to Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I want to talk about women of color, women of color, African-American women, because almost 30 percent of African-American females are victimized by intimate partner violence in their lifetime, either by rape, physical assault or stalking. And listen, according to the National Violence Against Women survey, African-American women experience higher rates of intimate partner homicide compared to their white counterparts. African-American women, females experience intimate partner violence at a rate 35% higher than that of white females. It's about two and a half times the rate of women of other races. So African-American females experience intimate partner violence at a rate 35% higher than that of white females. What does that say about people of color, about African-American women and men? Because a majority of these 35% of African-American females experiencing this partner violence, it's at the hands of African-American men. So, and they're less likely African-American women to use social services, battered women's program, or to go to the hospital because of domestic violence. If I stand on my wallet, you can see my thighs in heaven. One umbrella gang, and when we come back, don't you try repping. Before I let these niggas breathe, I gotta teach a couple lessons. Gotta see a couple questions. How the fuck you get shot in your foot? Don't hit no bones and tennis. How the fuck your team is trying to pay me at some whole minutes? I just lost All my right, y'all. So if you're wondering, what am I listening to? I'm listening to Tory Lanez. I'm listening to Tory Lanez. This is his newest album. This is a, a, a song called Money Over Fallouts from his newest album that dropped in September. The album is called Daystar. And um, I'm listening to this because if you have been following social media, you'll know that Tory Lanez and Meg Thee Stallion had a disagreement that resulted in Megan Thee Stallion being injured. Allegedly, she was shot two times by Tory Lanez and suffered injuries to both her feet. And um, this occurred July 12th after leaving a house party. There was an argument and violence was a result of that. So Tory Lanez has been charged with carrying a concealed weapon in his vehicle um, and... Um, he was supposed to be arraigned this month, actually, 
but his attorney asked for a continuance. So Tory Lanez was supposed to be, or pardon me, Tory Lanez is being charged with um, assault with a semi-automatic firearm and carrying a loaded unregistered firearm in a vehicle, as well as um, personally afflicted great bodily bodily harm. That is the other charge. So I'm talking domestic violence. Now, according to Meg Thee Stallion, they were not in a relationship. Um, and even Tory Lanez mentioned in his Instagram Live just the other day, I think it was uh, about a week ago, that he likes uh, Miss Meg Thee Stallion. He considers her still a friend. He says that... Um, they are. He still considers a friend, and that the claims against him are false. Listen to this video, y'all. So, just so you guys know, let me give you the agenda for tonight. So, I open by talking about Tory Lanez and Meg Thee Stallion, but we'll be talking to two actual women who I have interviewed in person and also interviewed recently. Um, for the podcast as well as for 99 Jams Community Matters because of October being Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I had the pleasure of speaking with Ms. Shanda Roberts, the CEO and founder of Paint to Purpose, and also Ms. Shanika Ampa, the founder of GLOW, Guiding Light Outreach. These are two nonprofits that assist women here locally in South Florida with domestic violence type issues, also sex trafficking. And so you'll hear from both of these women um, in this episode today. And both of their stories are, my gosh, just whew, over the top. Miss Shanda Roberts was dating a man who um, I can't recall now, but I think he was at least seven years her senior. She began dating him when she was 15 in high school and he used aggression and physical violence to control her for a number of years before she was able to get away. And Ms. Shanika Ampa was um, ostracized from her community where she lived and considered the, quote, fast girl, close quote, um, because of being involved in sexual activity that she really had not, well, as a kid, you can't choose to be involved in those types of uh, dealings anyhow because a child can't make a choice like that. A child does not have the capacity or the competency to make such a decision. But instead of helping her, they looked upon her in disdain and considered her to be the fast girl and told their children to stay away from her. So their stories are coming up next. You know, I've been bashed. I've been cut through just people every single day coming at me, coming at me, coming at me. And it's crazy because the whole thing about it is, is like when this whole uh, debacle or whatever you call it um, came about, the whole time it's like she knows what happened, I know what happened, and we know that what you're saying and what the alleged things and the alleged accusations of my name is are not true. It's falsified information, it's false information, and it's not accurate information. I don't ever want to come off like, I'm here to bash this girl or I'm here to talk down about this girl or ever be at a place where like I'm, I'm disrespecting her because to me as a person, she's still my friend. No matter what, even if she doesn't look at me like that, I look at her like she's still my friend. Okay, y'all. So listen, Meg Thee Stallion, 
did submit um, an op-ed recently, and it was pretty interesting to me. Oh, before, I'm sorry, before I move on to that, that was Tory Lanez in an Instagram Live on his Instagram page uh, refuting basically the allegations brought against them saying that they are lies and basically is saying that Meg Thee Stallion's camp is lying. But anyhow, moving on. Um, so in the New York Times, Meg Thee Stallion submitted an op-ed, and it's titled, Why I Speak Up for Black Women. And she states, I'm not afraid of criticism, and protect black women should not be controversial. I just gave you the statistics, y'all. So she is correct. Black women are not protected. If we were protected, we would not be as abused and misused and and killed. We are killed more than any other race um, in domestic violence. We have more homicides than any other race um, when it comes to domestic violence. So what was interesting to me is that um, if you read her, her op-ed and then if you read the comments underneath it, some of the comments were just despicable. Um, and Meg the Stallion also tweeted in response to Tory Lane's his Instagram video and said, this bleep bleep is genuinely crazy. And people responded and said things like, how do you get shot in both feet and twerk two weeks after? Where's the emergency surgery paperwork? Where's the x-ray? So people are just sort of um, on both sides of this. Some, a lot of people are supporting Meg and people are still supporting Tory Lane's as well. Someone tweeted, all I'm saying is if he didn't do it, why didn't he just flat out say that the first time instead of trying to pop it over it like a weirdo? Then someone said, girl, the whole world was against this man. Mind you, he got attacked straight off the back, bro. Like as soon as Megan told her story, people believed her with no doubt. I feel like he did the smart move by putting an album out. Meanwhile, Megan got shot, but her ass still twerking and all. So... This uh, thing about her sexuality um, and not just her sexuality, but her sensuality um, and being very bold about who she is sexually. This has been a topic for most of these people commenting about what happened to her. Allegedly. I would just like to add that if you don't know it, you'll know it now from listening to this episode that the black woman birthed the human race. Allow me to say that again. The black woman birthed the human race. Without the black woman, there would be no any of you, period. So we have to protect our black women and, um, and not make excuses for the people who are abusing them oh, she shouldn't be so fast, or why was she wearing that, or why was she in that area anyway? Regardless of what she's wearing or if she's not wearing a damn thing, if she's naked, it doesn't give someone the right to abuse in any shape, form, or fashion. So it seems like from a lot of these comments that these people are dismissing Meg Thee Stallion's they're dismissing her claims and they're basically supporting her notion that when black women are abused, we're not taken seriously. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what she said her fear was, is that if she came forward, that she would be judged 
and there will be a lot of negativity, and it's been just that. Everyone is focusing on the sexuality part of of um, Meg the Stallion. And um, the more important part here is the victimization of African-American women by African-American men. Um, there's a lot of violence against black women. The relationship between the community and the police is just leaving black women feeling even more powerless when they're victims of violence, whether from an intimate partner or relative or a random stranger. So we have to do better, guys. I'm going to switch over um, to this conversation that I had with Miss Shanda Roberts and also with Shanika Ampa, um, because, you know, these are two real people we can actually sit down and talk to and touch as, um, yeah, Meg the Stallion is real and so is Tory Lanez, but we can't sit down and talk to them. If you check out my YouTube channel, Dr. Delvina Thomas, there there are two or three videos. No, it's two videos, a part one and part two, where I discussed domestic violence um, with Shanika and with Shanda. We were on NBC Six Voices together, and then I went into their hoods, into their neighborhoods, and interviewed both both of these women to hear their stories, which are just very powerful stories about Ooh, man, being involved or being in these violent relationships. Um, Shanda Roberts actually attempted suicide to try to get out of her relationship. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I have with me this morning Mrs. Shanda Roberts, the founder and president of Pain to Purpose. Yay, clap it up. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Of course, I always got to talk to you when it comes to issues and concerns surrounding domestic violence and all of the, the special issues that come up in association with that, like the mental illnesses and, and the stress and yeah. all of those things. We're going to get more into that. First, I want the listeners to know who you are. So guys, as I typically do, I just want to give you a brief bio of Ms. Shonda, Mrs. Shonda Roberts. So you're an Islander, half yes, Bahamian, half Jamaican. Yes, yes. Okay. All right. So you were born in Jamaica and you moved over to Miami at a very young age. You had, um, you have three brothers. And so you describe yourself growing up as a tomboy, as a, a, a little fighter, never afraid to back down from a fight. And, um, and of course, we know now, well, some of us know, I know you're a survivor and an advocate of domestic violence. Um, you have a situation that you'll go into more details about, but your personal situation is how you founded Pain to Purpose and, um, and also the motivating factor for you to do the special things that you do in the communities for the women who are, are at places like domestic violence shelters, um, including your initiative called Stuff for Purse. Um, which is a giveaway and donations that you provide to victims and survivors of um, this terrible issue that we have in our communities, which, by the way, folks who are listening, domestic violence has increased during COVID-19, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So um, without any further delay, Mrs. Roberts, the founder and president of Pain to Purpose, thank you again for being on Community Matters this morning. Thank you. Thank you. So, Mrs. Roberts, if you could please tell us about Pain to Purpose. 
what is Pain to Purpose? Pain to Purpose was or is an organization that I created to offer assistance, support, whatever it is we can to victims and survivors may have been going through the same thing. The organization just started out with us taking purses to shelters. They're stuffed purses with hygiene products. And they're sort of a way to get in, to, but to also share with them that we have gone through this as well. You're not out here alone. A lot of times women may leave and forget those mo- those, those important items, such as hygiene products. Because as a mother, you're, you're mostly concerned about your children. So you're going to grab their stuff. So what I started doing the purses is because it was during... Christmas time, and I always see that people are doing toys for tots or, or doing something for kids. And I was like, what about the moms? Who is giving gifts to the moms? How are we encouraging the moms? And that's how it started. I didn't start out doing an organization. I started out doing that first. And then people were like, you should do an organization. I really was like, no, I'm too busy. I don't think I can handle that. And then I started getting, you know, invites for speaking engagements and I started doing the purses more and it just kind of blossomed into paying to purpose. <laughs> yeah, I see in your bio that in 2013, you were asked to speak to a college class for Women's History Month on domestic violence. Um, that was your first time speaking about abuse in detail in a public forum. Um, and thereafter, you shared your story again. You shared your story two more times at your church in 2015. And then I guess uh, the Lord led you on a path to actually make it official, as you're saying. Yes, yes. he did. And it was like, I felt when I first um, shared my story, I just felt like a weight lifted off my shoulders. I felt like I had been holding in so much. And a lot of times when you go through um, trauma, you bury it in the back of your head and you feel like since I woke up the next day and I moved on, that the situation is over and done with. And you don't realize how much baggage you're holding mm. on to. And that opened up, not only did it open up my eyes that I needed to tell my story, but it also brought back so many, so many memories. So which also kind of, hesit- I hesitated sometimes in going forward because now I was having bad dreams and things were coming back up and things I thought I let go or moved on with were coming back up and causing me to be in moods that I didn't like to be in. But I pushed through all of that in order to keep going so that I can continue to help others like myself. So I I want you to, um, if you feel comfortable, go into some details about your personal experience, um, when it began, how old you were, what year that was, so we can put together your, your timeline. Um, the abuse started at 15. I started dating him at 15. And the abuse started shortly after. I married him at 19. And we were divorced, I want to say around 22, 23. I'm not positive about the year. I just actually ordered my divorce certificate for another reason. But I, even looking at that brought back so many bad memories. But... um. I was in the relationship for a little bit over nine years and the abuse started, like I said before, early on, but it didn't start off physical at first. First, it was just controlling. Mm-hmm. He was telling me where to go, where not to go, what to wear. And he kind of camouflaged that with, I love you so much. I just want to be around you. Or I don't want you wearing those clothes. No one should be looking at, you know, what belongs to me. 
So as a 15-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, you're thinking that, oh, he loves me so much. He has to love me. He doesn't want anyone to see me. He doesn't want to be around me. He wants me to be around him all the time. And not even realize that he was grooming, grooming me for what was to come. But that was the beginning of the, of the control. And then it led to the physical violence soon after. How long did he groom you with, you know, making you believe that he really loved you and cared about you by being so controlling? How long did it take to go from those starter signs and red flags um, before transition to the physical did well actually let me back up did it go directly from him being controlling to physical abuse or did he start verbally and emotionally abusing you first and then it became physically abusive or did the physical abuse and the verbal abuse all kind of come together the controlling started first but like i said the controlling was camouflaged into loving so while he was controlling he was buying me things and he was showering me with everything. I mean, shoes, clothes, jewelry, whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, wherever I wanted to go, he did it with no question. And that kind of went into, he never was verbally abusive. Um, he could get a little, uh, I want to say forceful or demanding, but it, it was, again, he was making me feel like it's because he wanted me to be, be with me so much. Now the physical abuse mm-hmm. started, I, I want to say maybe, if I can give it a time frame, probably a month after, because we were comfortable. Really? So, that's soon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like a month after, because we were together all the time. We were together every day. We were together all the time. So the relationship grew really mm-hmm. fast, and it started off, and it just kept going. And as soon as he came into my life, he just took over and took control. So the abuse started mm-hmm. probably like a month later, and it, it was because... He felt I said something I shouldn't have said to him in front of his friends, which was, I'm ready to go. We was, I was sitting in a car, and he was standing out the car talking to his friends, but I had been in the car for like an hour. And he had this thing of mm-hmm. just driving me around, dressing me up and driving me around, and he'll get out the car and talk to his friends. And at that, that particular day, I was ready to go. So I rolled down the window, and I said, hey, I'm ready to go. And he looked at me. He said, okay, hold on. I said, no, I'm ready to go now. And then that was disrespect to him. So he told his friends, I'll be right back. He got in the car. He drove me down the street. He didn't say a word. He got out the car, snatched me out the car, and immediately started punching me in my head. And at that time, he was, B, don't you ever um, disrespect me in front of my friends. And that's when the name start, name calling um, started and the physical abuse started. Mm-hmm. And I was distraught because this was the, the man who had been showing me with gifts, who had been telling me how much he loved me, who has been you know, making me feel like a princess at the time. And I felt like, I don't know, I know what happened. It shocked me. Yeah, I I can only imagine. And at that time you were what, 15, 16 years of age? Mm -hmm. 15, I was still 15. So I'm just going to interject and hear some warning signs of abusers for people listening. Um, Abusers can act macho or cocky. They can be jealous and or controlling, which is what Mrs. Roberts is describing that in the beginning of her relationship with this older man. How much older than you was, is he, Mrs. Roberts? Um, God, I was 15. He was in his late 20s. I, I want to say 28, okay. 29. 
And when I met him, so he, he was, told me, uh-huh. when, I, when I met him, he told me he was younger, but he did not tell, I know he was older, I should say, but he, I didn't know how much older mm-hmm. he was. So he lied about his age in the beginning, but I know he was older. I know he was at least 20, 21, but I believe he told me he was maybe 23 or something when I met him. Okay. So he lied about his age. Yeah. Turns out he was double your age. Yeah. He's basically was a whole nother 15 years older than you. You were 15 yeah. and he was basically almost 30. Mm-hmm. Um, these abusers can be cruel to animals and or children. They have a history of battering. They are constantly checking on their partner and they blame others for their problems. Some of them, those are some of the signs of, of an abuser. So Mrs. Roberts, the founder and president of Pain to Purpose, um, who has also created the initiative for Miami-Dade and Broward County's uh, domestic violence shelters called Stuff a Purse, is here this morning speaking about why she created Pain to Purpose, uh, why she has this desire to help other women get out of their domestic violent uh, situations. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. So, um, Mrs. Roberts, you were telling me about the first time that he physically abused you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so after, when we, con- when we continue with that? Yes, okay. ma'am, please. Okay. So after that, after he um, knocked me up a little t- few times, he told me to get back in the car or kind of threw me back in the car. And he got back in the car himself. And the road that was like a straight road from where we came from. So he just reversed all the way back at full speed to where he was previously with his friends, Mm. got back out the car and continued talking to his friends. And I didn't think about it then, but when I I think back now, it's like showing them that he had control over me as well. And not one man in that circle said, are you okay? Not one person looked, and they could tell something had happened to me. I, I was yeah, disheveled. that was my next question. Right, okay. my, I was disheveled. Did you look disheveled? I looked disheveled. Mm-hmm. I was crying. I was holding my face. I was crying hysterically. I wasn't just whimpering. I was crying hysterically. He wow. looked at me a couple of... He, he walked over to the car and told me to shut up, went back to where he was talking, and no one said a word. No one said a thing. And there were a lot of people out there. And that happened quite a few times. He didn't make it his business to physically abuse me in front of people um, because everyone Mm -hmm. thought he was just this great guy. Everyone thought he was perfect. Everyone thought that he was, you know, and he, and he was a drug dealer. So everyone knew him and no one, no one outside of his group of circle of people knew that he was abusing me because he only punched me in my head. He didn't hit my face. He made it. He's always Mm -hmm. told me I cannot walk around him with, um, a busted up face. So he would tell me, turn your head, mm-hmm. turn your head. So he won't hit my face at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are the warning signs of domestic violence. Um, quick involvement. You guys went into a relationship fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you met him and then, you know, a month later, you found yourself in a serious relationship with a man who was 13, 14, 15 years your senior. Other warning signs of domestic violence is that the abuser will attempt to isolate the, their partner from their friends and family. Did he ever try to isolate you from your, your family and friends? Yes, he did. He did. And you know what's so crazy is that 
even then I didn't realize it. I didn't know that he was isolating me until I became an advocate, <laughs> until I started learning about it and educating myself on, even though I had been through it, I wanted to educate myself because I had been through everything. So I wanted to be able to relate mm-hmm. and to know how to help the women and the men that I come in contact with. And I didn't even realize he isolated me until then because I had friends and after a while I didn't have any more friends or I didn't, wasn't able to hang with them. I wasn't able to go out with them. I didn't go to anything that was a school function. Um, I barely made it to my graduation and that was only because he, at the time, he was upset, upset with me about something. So I made it to my graduation, but any school functions I couldn't go to, I wasn't able to do anything. Mm-hmm. Only with him. So how many school functions did you make it to with him? Nothing. Only thing I made it to was graduation, and that's because he, he didn't go with me. And even then, like I so said, I, I barely to- made it. Mm-hmm. So signs of someone being abused include things like low self-esteem, being absent from work or school, personality changes, fear of conflict, self-blame. Did you go through any of those types of things when you were in this relationship, Mrs. Roberts? Yes, um, Dr. Thomas. I went through all that because, again, at 15, you, you barely know who you are. You barely know, you know, what to do in life. So... When this person who came in to quote unquote love me and take care of me and do all these things start hurting me, I thought it was my fault. So I would try to change what I said or not do anything to make him upset. And when that didn't work, I attempted suicide. I took a bunch of pills because I figured I was so confused. I don't know what was wrong. I just felt like I was, it was my fault that I had to be the worst person in the world that someone would want to treat like this. So I took a bunch of pills in the hopes of committing suicide. But my brother at the time, um, he's passed away now, but he found me and they ended up, he ended up calling the ambulance and they pumped my stomach and put me in the psych ward and did all of that. But mm-hmm. I, I wanted to take my own life because I was just too confused of what was going on. I blame myself wholeheartedly. How old were you when you, you tried to kill yourself? I was, I think at that time I was 17 or 16 going on 17. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, because my brother passed when I was 15. So it had to be before I turned 16. Wow, you were still such a baby. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And did he, did he learn that you had attempted to kill yourself? Oh, yes. He came to the hospital and was upset with me. When the, the nurses went out, or I was, we were in the room by ourselves, and I had this charcoal tube down my throat, and he was standing over me. Of course, I couldn't speak, and he was standing over me, looking at me like, what is wrong with you? Why would you do that? You, mu- you know, something must be wrong with you. It was always my fault. I got blamed mm-hmm. for everything. I got blamed for everything I did, every- no sympathy at all, nothing. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I shouldn't have done what I've done nothing it was my fault that I took the pills it was my fault that I tried to kill myself it was my everything was my fault Mm -hmm. so um, for anyone listening if you're going through this situation the national domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE which is 7233 that's 1-800-799-7233 
Again, that's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. And there's a Miami-Dade Domestic Violence Hotline. That's 1-800-500-1119. And I'll give these numbers out again, but I just wanted to give them to you just in case you're listening and you won't be on until the end. And there's a victim's safe space number you can call to help you as well. It's 305 693 So after that occurred, did you go back to him? Yes, I went back to him plenty of times. I went back. I found out later on, I mean, I found out after I got out of the hospital that he was actually trying to get into, because I mean, back then the psych ward um, at the hospital, I'm, talk, I'm sorry, the psych ward was at the hospital and um, I believe only parents or close family can come and visit you. And I found out that he was actually trying to find a way to break me out of the hospital because he didn't want me telling anybody what happened. But I ended up going back to him several times over the years. I married him at 19 and I kept going back because he would always tell me or um, that it, it won't happen again. I, I wanted so much to believe him and he would cry. He would pray to God. He would do anything to make me believe that he would not hit me again. And then of course it didn't happen, but I went back for years. Statistics say that victims will go back seven times before mm -hmm. they leave for good. Do you think you went by, back seven times or more? Oh, more, probably triple that. Over nine years, I went back plenty of times. What would you tell your, your young self if you could go backward? <laughs> what I would tell 15-year-old Shonda was, would be that she deserves to be loved. And she's definitely moving too fast, though. But I would definitely, not to blame anyone, but that's for me. I would say that... Okay. Um, I'm stronger than I think, I'm strong, you're stronger than you think, that you are a queen and you deserve to be loved and treated with respect. Okay. And um, what did you learn from, from that situation? I know that might sound like a silly question, but what are no, some of the things silly. you learned? And... No, it's not a silly question at all, because like I told you earlier, in, in doing advocacy and meeting so many courageous survivors and victims and I still call some victims that they're still in the situation we have women we we work mm -hmm. with that are still in the situation and we have some that have left and we meet them where they are wherever wherever they need help with is what we're going to help them with if it's just to talk then it's just to talk so I've learned that everyone is not going to be as strong as I am now I've learned that in that situation I definitely learned red flags I definitely learned that it wasn't my fault. Um, I learned how to, in, in all my, being in that situation caused me to have a defense mechanism up for any and everybody. So I lost a lot of friendships. I lost a lot of jobs. Everyone was victim to what happened to me. So being in that situation, I had to learn again how to be a friend. I had to learn to, that everyone's not my enemy. Um, I have a lot of PTSD, I believe, from that situation. And to this day, I'm still growing from it. I'm still learning from it. And, but I learned a lot about how to teach people how to treat you, pretty much. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So for folks who want to reach out to you, they um, want your help, need your help, or if they want to donate to Paint a Purpose and or Stuff a Purse, how can they find you on social media? Our social media... And on the internet. Okay. Our social media is Pain, the number two, Purpose, seven, six, and that's on Twitter, Facebook, um, Instagram, and, uh, and Snapchat. That's Pain, the number two, Purpose, seven, six. And our website is pain, the number two, purpose, seven, six, dot org. Our email address is info at pain, the number two, purpose, seven, six, dot org. And our phone number is 305-791-3417. In 60 seconds or less, what continues to motivate you to continue your purpose with pain to purpose? The, 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 the people that we come in contact with, the people that we help every time. And I do want to give up sometimes. <laughs> I do because it gets so emotionally draining. And then sometimes you figure you don't get the support you need because a lot of times it comes out of my pocket. And uh, I ask God, if you gave me this. I, I know you gave me this. I just need the help. So a lot of what motivates me is the women and the men that we come in contact with. I've had men come tell me that they used to be abusers and that they need help and they're going to get help. And then I have women who told me I almost gave up because I heard you speak. I got out because I heard you speak or I saw what you all did over here because not only do we stuff a purse, but we have, we have a, a survivor's ball where we have women come and tell their stories that have never shared their stories before. And we've had our, our team summit well, I had a parent to come there and tell me, help me, I need help with my team. Because we talk about suicide, depression, and bullying and self-esteem at our team summit. Those are the things that motivate me to keep going. Because I know this is going to be a never-ending story. It's going to be something that people will always need. As long as we're breathing, people are going to need help. And that's what motivates Absolutely. me to keep going. Beautiful. Give people your website again. I'm sure your links for social media is on the website as well. So give us your website one more time, please. Okay. It's pain, the number two, purpose76.org. And guys, again, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 7233, 1-800-799-7233. And the Miami-Dade Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-500-1119. And there's also another organization called Women in Distress that is in Broward County. Their number is 954-761-1133. Again, this is Dr. Delvina, and I have been talking to Mrs. Shanda, Shonda Roberts, founder and president of Paint to Purpose. And now, guys, my interview with Ms. Shanika Ampa, the founder of GLOW, Guiding Light Outreach Incorporated, which is a nonprofit. It achieved nonprofit status in two, 2017. This is our interview from Community Matters 99 Jams and. um Glow believes that human trafficking is a result of a broken community dealing with issues such as child abuse, which you'll hear Shanika discuss personally, domestic violence, which she's a survivor of, substance and alcohol abuse, poor economic issues, homelessness, feeding the hungry, runaways, poor family structure, and other negative aspects that affect households. Please continue to listen as I interview Ms. Shanika Ampa, a survivor of sex trafficking at such a young age of 
as early as 11, I believe, um, as well as domestic violence and neglect um, and was sexually abused and molested as a child. Dr. Delvina Thomas, I'm here with my guest, Ms. Shanika Ampa, who is the founder of GLOW, G-L-O. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Hi, Dr. Delvina. Thank you for having me. I'm so pleased that you were able to make time for us to come on and talk about such a serious issue that we have all over the world, but definitely, especially in America and also even more so in the state of Florida. Guys, we're talking once again this morning, domestic violence, as um, I've indicated previously, October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And, um, and so I had to bring on the experts um, in, in this field, basically. Um, today we have, again, Ms. Shanika Ampa. And so you are the owner, the founder, the CEO of GLOW. Can you tell the listeners what GLOW stands for? GLO is for Guiding Light Outreach, Inc. And um, kind of contrary to what it means, it's about letting my light shine. And so every day, that's my purpose, to glow, to be a, a lighthouse in dark places for people who's going through uh, hard situations like I once found myself. Okay. So tell us, what, what motivated you to find this, to find your organization? What was the motivating factor, or what are some of the motivating factors that led you to to create this organization? God, okay, so that's kind of simply said, but um, really, um, after finding myself on the outside and as a survivor of many things, um, I was commissioned by God to do something. Um, I didn't understand when he said glow. I didn't understand what Guiding Light Outreach was going to do. Um, I really didn't even understand that I was a victim or a survivor of human trafficking. I knew what I went through, but I also had to look back and see that there were no help. There were no people. There were there was not anyone assisting a little girl who was being victimized. And so um, find, founding Guiding Light Outreach was how could I go back and impact communities? How could I make sure that people within communities knew how to find help. And so if you think about a lost boat, they're looking for a lighthouse on that dark water and um, just making sure that my presence and the presence of God is seen in the communities and making sure that the services and the connections and the listening ears are available. And so my motivation was inspired by God to be what I did not have when I needed it. Okay. Beautifully and simply said. Um, so God directed your your path, your footsteps, and placed in your heart to found an organization so that you can allow your light to glow and also help others so that they, their lights can glow or can shine as well. As, as, do I have that correct? That's correct. Um, so you mentioned being a survivor and, and it not occurring to you at the time that you were involved in sex trafficking. Yeah. Um, so from the age of 11 to 18 years old, um, I was born in the 80s. So back then we didn't have a term for sex trafficking. 
we didn't have the education, the community awareness. And so I just wore the labels. I just wore the labels of the fast girl or you chose that. I just wore the labels of the prostitute. Um, and so between sex trafficking and domestic violence, which I was both uh, the mm -hmm. victim and survivor of, um, I look back at my life and in my twenties, like I found, I found out like, Hey, this can't be true. But, um, it wasn't until around 2012 that I even heard the term and had heard someone else's story that helped me identify that's what happened to me. No one, no one said, Hey, you are the victim or sorry that this happened. It was all me, this little girl who suffered and many people blaming me, no matter how many times I was victimized by adult men, no one blamed them that I saw in my community it was all about me. Um, and being beaten because I didn't make money, being uh, sold multiple mm -hmm. times within my community, outside of my community and within the United States. Um, I feel that now I understand that was me and how I got there. Like, I, I mean, I think sometimes we don't understand how we got there. And, and that's one of the things that I, I choose to address. How did I get there? How do people get there? How do anybody get in a, a situation where they're being victimized continuously? Um, I think even with the, the issues of domestic violence, I got there because they're all still longing for love and relationships and being a part of something. So those two areas, are very, they run kind of parallel. When you talk about sex trafficking and domestic violence, they run so parallel. Um, I would say that because you still have people that's vulnerable and then you still have the same victims being um, victimized by someone or some people that choose to, to steal away somebody else's power or their own identity mm -hmm. or their freedom. Mm-hmm. So anyone who's listening, if you didn't, um, if you haven't been on since the beginning of the interview, I'm talking with Ms. Shanika Ampa, the founder of GLOW. And um, as I stated, this month is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and we're discussing uh, this morning both sex trafficking and domestic violence, which Ms. Ampa is a survivor of both. Um, you were born and raised in Florida, yes, Shanika? Yes, Miami-Dade County, born and raised, <laughs> the 305. Right. And Florida has a third highest rate of human trafficking cases reported across the country in 2019. According to the Human Trafficking Hotline, 896 cases were reported. This is actually an increase from 2018, which at that time there were 760 reports of human, human trafficking. The two states that um, surpass Florida and the, the cases of human trafficking include California, which is the highest, has the highest rate in 2019 in Texas. And obviously 2020 is not, has not come to an end yet. We're in the last quarter, but we know ever since COVID started that the rates of domestic violence and abuse have gone up. Uh, we've seen an increase in, in those things. And as uh, Ms. Shanika Ampa just so eloquently described, domestic violence and sex trafficking can overlap. Before I go back to Shanika's personal story, I want to give the sex trafficking hotline for anyone who may be listening and need it right now. It's 888-373-7888. 
Again, the sex trafficking hotline is 888-373-7888. And the Florida sex trafficking uh, hotline is 1-800-96-ABUSE, 1-800-96-ABUSE, A-B-U-S-E. And the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 800-799, the word SAFE, S-A-F-E, which is 7233 on your phones. And the Miami-Dade Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-500-1119. And of course, I mentioned previously Women in Distress, which is 954-761-1133. That is a Broward organization that helps to stop domestic violence abuse for everyone. Um, and I mentioned previously, because during a, another interview, I mentioned women in distress as well. So um, we know that children and, and women are the most common victims of sex trafficking. And uh, Shanika, you were seeing that from the ages of 11, starting at age 11, that you were a victim. That's correct. So do you have mm-hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead, Dr. Davina. No. No, no, dear. Go ahead. Um, yeah. So I think like when I, I think about the sex trafficking part, um, because people don't really understand what the sex trafficking, like I think there's a imagery that we see with cages and people in chains and, and, and not to take away from that story and that perspective of um, is it could be true. For, for me and a little local girl in a local community, it all started with sexual abuse mm-hmm. at home and running away. And so when I think about that, I want people to understand that this is in our community and it's happening uh, in our front yards, in our backyards. Um, mm-hmm. And for us to understand that if someone is enslaved in their minds, then you don't need to um, enslave them with chains. They're already in bondage. And so Mm -hmm. when I look back at um, the 11-year-old girl who was running and hiding from things that were happening within her house, where did I have to run? Um, And it was into the community. And (laughs) community is so much to me. It means so much because I go back and look at the people that and the men that sexually abused me knew where I lived. They knew my parents, they knew my house and they could have did something. The police officer Mm. could have done something. And so I want us to talk for real on a community level. We see what's happening. We see, we see it. It's right there in our communities and we have to deal with our communities Mm. before we can blame a trafficker. This man that I met on Southwest A street that, chose to continue to prostitute me and sell me um, for his benefit, what did the community do? Um, the grown women, they knew what were happening. And what, what, did your, what did your community do, Shanika, when this was happening to you at the young age of 11, of not knowing anything? You know, you're a baby at that age. What, what did the community do? They did... The action of the community to help me out did nothing. Uh, what did they mm-hmm. say? What did they do in the yeah. sense of um, labeling me? They, mm-hmm. I would say what they did was they hurt me more. They, they tore me down more. When you have a community, and, I, and I'm talking to the people who know in the community what's going on. They know the sexual abuser. They cover the sexual abusers and they labeled the children 
And so here I was a little girl that I couldn't have friends. My friends that were my age group were told not to be my friend. I'm too fast. So, and all of the adult women, they knew this, they knew what were happening because as I walked to the corner stores, I could hear them talking about me, but not once did anyone ask, did I need help? Was I okay? Not one time. And, and the adult men were having conversations about me as well. And so when I think about the community, most runaway children don't just run away and go to another state immediately. They're within our communities. Mm -hmm. They know, like, they're there. We have to do a better job. Um, I always use this um, analogy. When, when a dog goes missing, the dog is most likely within the community, and everybody goes out, and we see posters, and we see people asking, did you see our dogs? When will we do the same for our community, our community mm -hmm. children? When will we do the same for the community children rather than say or, or dismiss their hurt, their pain, or dismiss what's really going on within their homes. Um, my community, and I grew up in the city of South Miami, so um, I, I, I wanna say that. So when we're talking about human trafficking, we don't think it's in the third world countries. We know that it's in mm -hmm. our community. So we know that the- Yeah, 83% yeah, yeah, of victims in America are citizens, are US citizens. People think, that it looks like the, you know, the Latino or Hispanic person or, but they, and who don't, who don't speak English and, you know, but 83% of victims are, are U.S. citizens. And like you said, the typical cases are, are what you just described. Um, they're in your community and, and um, being abused, you know, you lived right in your community in South Miami as a little girl being abused by grown men um, and not afforded, not offered any, any help to get you out of that circumstance. It's not, as you said, the, the chains and, and whips as people kind of, there's some depiction of sex trafficking being that, but it's more simply people who work in, well, for you, you are, you are younger than the average age, the average age of, um, of, of victims of sex trafficking, it's between ages 12 and 14. But um, there can be victims as young as nine years of age. And for you, it started at age 11. Um, and so folks, you have to be aware that there's different types of ways to traffic people. They get trafficked through venues like domestic work, agriculture, traveling sales, crews, restaurants, and industries like that. And you have to also be aware of where these things could be taking place, like in hotels and motels and brothels. And um, there might be an ad in the paper or, or online to try, to try and draw someone's attention. Um, and Shanika, I think you said your, your story began at home with sexual abuse is what I think I heard you say. Yeah, I was sexually abused at home. And we, we have those same stories so many times over and over again. We're going to keep our family secrets and it's not a secret <laughs> you know I think like we see it it's the elephant in the room we don't deal with it well and we suppress it and we sweep it under the rug until the one victim in my situation act out and then that person wears mm -hmm. the bad t titles and names um versus let's look at what's really happening um 
one of the things that I, I go back to, like even when we speak of statistics, um, the age for trafficking, I think I think I would I would dare to say as a survivor leader, it's by what's mm -hmm. reported. So when you have someone that's being trafficked within their home, you won't have the true numbers of where that kid really start at, at what age that kid really started getting trafficked. That is and, so true. And that's the that reminder community point. that maybe even your neighbors, we have to be, we have to be very observant. Your neighbors, there's children who are being sex trafficked uh, or labeled trafficked by their their own family members. And so nobody's going to report mm -hmm. that at six, seven years old. You know, the numbers would be much lower if we really knew the truth. And um, that's one of the reasons I speak out because I want people who are being victimized, who, who are too afraid to speak out, I want them to hear a voice that reminds them and to ignite them that they can speak out for their freedom. You, you might be a kid that can go to your school counselor, a local police department, um, anywhere and mm -hmm. speak out about what's happening. And until we empower the children, then we won't even know that younger children are actually being victimized until what we, we actually make a, what people call a rescue. <laughs> we really need to mm -hmm. know when, uh, if we wanted to know the truth and the true numbers, then we would have to open our ears and open our, and come outside of the box of what normal reporting looks like and, and, and hear the stories for real. Yeah. So from ages 11 until age 18, you were the victim of, of both sex trafficking, um, being sold for sex, and also the use of force and physical violence to control you, so domestic violence. Yeah, I think when I speak of the domestic violence, it was even after I got out of the human trafficking where I got into relationships trying to, quote unquote, find a better relationship and thinking that it was better than what I had within the sex trafficking and um, being vulnerable, not having a place to live. You know, some of the things that I see some of the survivors mm -hmm. go through right now while they're trying to better themselves, um, they get into domestic ab abusive relationships. Um, and I, I would- uh, Just to get out and escape yeah, that situation. Yeah, so you leave, your, you're out of the trafficking, you're out of the prostitution, but now you're looking for love and you're in what you think is a, a abuse, mm -hmm. a, a romantic relationship, but that too is, abusive um and because you're you're trying to find your value and your worth you don't know how to get out of that either um and so when i think about domestic violence several of my relationships were abusive but at that time this the tables kind of turned so after being punched in the face by a pimp like now i wasn't really going to take the abuse and so like i would fight my way um, I would know that one hit means break up, but it wouldn't mean that I wouldn't find myself back into another relationship that was abusive. Um, and so that's where the domestic violence came into my life, you know, and having children figuring out, like, I can't let my children see this. I got to get out, but back into it mm -hmm. again, because again, I'm trying to find out and find my value and find my worth and find 
uh, income mm-hmm. that I can sustain and don't have to stay around because I'm codependent. Or, needy. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah. that, that's kind of where what pushed me into getting my career and finding my own so I can stand on my own without having to be subjected to these abusive relationships. Yes, financial independence is definitely a way to free yourself from these types of relationships. We have about five minutes left. Can you explain to the listeners what GLOW, how GLOW can help someone who may be in a sex trafficking situation or domestic violence situation? So this is what GLOW, we, we talk about community things. We, we do trainings and we do prevention awareness for age-appropriate um, prevention trainings for children, adults, um, on different platforms, church, school. Guiding Light Outreach is about also truly giving survivor support. May that mean calling 3 a.m. in the morning when nobody else is going to call, you know, or pick up your call. We are right there in the trenches um, helping find su- uh, support and resources out in the community. Um, and that's what we are. We want to be the lighthouse. We want to be where you know that you can find um, some type of hope. Um, many times, children, they're, they're running and they know that they, they use, I, you know, one young lady said, someone in, in, in the bridge told me if I call Miss Shanika that I, I can get some help. And that's what it's about, answering that phone, showing up, having the conversation, um, and listening and helping out. So that's what Guiding Light out- Outreach is. We're outreach. We go where we, we want to meet you where you are. And so if you have anyone that needs assistance, needs a listening ear, needs some resources, or you want to provide training to your church, your school, your women's group, your male group, because we want to make sure that while we're talking about the victims can be females, we also include that victims can be males. And we also want to deter some of the behaviors of who people believe are the number one traffickers, which are the male population. So we have to train. Um, and so that's the services of Guiding Light Outreach, going out, feeding the homeless, because that's where we find some of the people that are being, that, that will be mm. victimized and vulnerable. Um, mm-hmm. Going, going mm-hmm. in the trenches, um, that's, that's what you get when you see GLOW, a lighthouse. Um, empowerment, and hopefully that we ignite your light to shine as well. Gotcha. Support and empowerment. Where can folks find you on social media or on the internet if uh, they need you? What number can they call? What website? 954-283-7074. Call us if you know someone that needs that number, share it. Um, Facebook, we are Guiding Light Outreach, Inc. Um, You can send us an email at www. I'm sorry, um, the webpage is www.glowinc12.org. Send us an email at mm-hmm. glow, G-L-O, inc, I-N-C, 12 at gmail.com. Um, I hope that you can be a service, that we can be a service to anybody that need our help. Um, share the information and let's continue the conversation. So um, you guys have been listening to Ms. Shanika Ampa, who is the founder of Guiding Light Outreach, also known as GLOW, um, a way to support 
people, not just women, but people who may be involved in sex trafficking and domestic violence situations. She just provided her contact information and how to, um, including how to call, how to email. And I just want to give you guys the phone number again for the sex trafficking. The National Sex, sex Trafficking Hotline is 888-373-7888. And the Florida Sex Trafficking Hotline is one 800 96 abuse a b u s e and the national domestic violence hotline is 1-800-799 safe s a f e which is 7233 so again that's 1-800-799-7233 and the miami day domestic violence hotline is 1-800-500-1119 and the phone number for women in distress which is the broward county initiative is 954 954- Seven six one 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 three three. I thank you so much for everyone who's listening this morning and will share this information to someone who may be in need. You've been listening to uh, me, Dr. Delvina, and I've been speaking with Ms. Shanika Ampa, the founder of Guiding Light Outreach, known as GLOW. Thank you for coming on this morning. I appreciate you. Thank you again, Dr. appreciate you listening to me again for another episode of the brain love podcast you know if i had to impress upon you two main things from this episode the first one would be stop blaming the victims y'all stop blaming the victims you know that's that's number one stop blaming the victims and Let's be there for one another, but let's be there especially for our black women. And if you have a friend who's going through this type of unfortunate scenario where she feels like she's dependent upon a man or a woman for income or finances and is the victim of domestic violence or domestic abuse, share this episode with her. There are organizations out here who can help organizations that are nonprofits. All they have to do is send an email or call and reach out. I gave the information for Shanika Ampa and Shanda Roberts. They're nonprofit organizations. But I've seen just from doing a search on Google that a lot of cities and other other towns and, and counties have nonprofit organizations that help uh, people, not just women, but men and women who are in a domestic violence situation. And I just want to leave you the National Domestic Violence Hotline before we go. 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 7233. Again, the National Domestic Violence Hotline is one 800 799 7233 that last those last four digits spell safe thanks for listening to another episode of the brain love podcast y'all i'll see you or you'll hear me next sunday night at 8 p.m i appreciate your support please subscribe if you haven't already subscribed and be a part of this brain love movement because uh, the brain love train is coming through your brain. No, that was corny. Anyhow, thank you for your support. And you'll hear from me next Sunday night at 8 p.m., y'all. It's almost time for Thanksgiving. Isn't that crazy to you? 
Time has gone by so quickly. Have a great week, guys. Be motivated. Eat your healthy diets. Get your healthy diet in, your nutritious brain love foods, and, you know, get your exercise in at least three days out of the week. Have a good week. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need It's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes. Learn from them and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.